Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Point family. If you guys got your Bibles, head over to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9. We're going to be there. We're going to jump off to a few different places today. Um, hey, while you're turning there, um, I do just want to follow up. Like, as you guys have heard, obviously Christmas service is coming up this week. You know, in, in some ways, like for us at church, this is like, it's, it's like Super Bowl for us. Um, we pull out all the stops. Like we do everything imaginable to celebrate Jesus and reach people um, for him. And so, you know, one, like as a church, like, hey, like I'm, I'm asking, would you be praying for God to pour out his power on this week? Uh, we get a chance as a church to, to preach Jesus to, to around 40,000 people in a week. And so, man, be praying for that. And then two, as a church family, I just, I just want to say two things. Um, as just talking to people who come to know God and get connected to a church, you just need to know this, that what we do here on the stage, everything is going to be absolutely amazing. Like it, your mind's going to be blown. Okay, that's awesome. But what I found is that people, I have a deep conviction, people would rather be loved than wowed. And so listen, when you're here, here's what I'm asking. Lake Point Church, six locations, everybody, listen. This week, consider yourselves, consider us a 15,000 person greeting team. And everybody we see, our job is to love them in Jesus' name. Very, make them feel real welcome, okay? Now, number two, this may sound really weird. I need you to do this. So can you get out your phones? Get out your phones real quick. Get out your phone, just do it. And hold, hold it where the little microphone part faces me, okay? Faces me. And okay, about half of you are doing it. Just track with me, okay? Hey Siri, remind me to share the Lake Point Facebook invite today at noon. Okay, good. I, I heard it. That's it. It worked a little last night. Now, for real, for real, this may sound super weird to you. The second most common reason somebody comes to Lake Point and eventually, you know, connects with Christ. Most common is personal invite. Number two is via social media and online. And so like for real, last year we saw this. Today at noon, we've got a Facebook invite. It's on Instagram, also all of our social media platforms um, for you to be able to share, to push to timelines, to get word out about Christmas at Lake Point. Um, if everybody at Lake Point did that, our, by our math, that reaches 8 million people, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, letting them know that's going on. That's a big deal. So if you can do that, that'd be awesome. All right, commercial over. Let's get to the Bible. Isaiah 9, 6. Here we go. We're in week three of a series that we are just calling, He Shall Be Called. And here's why we're doing that, because there was a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus came in the book of Isaiah about the coming Messiah. And here, here's what it said. It said, for to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called. Four things. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so during this season, we like meditate on the person of Jesus and what he means to us. Uh, each week we're like taking one of those names and going, hey, what's it mean for Jesus to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God? This week what we're doing is everlasting father. Now I just want to point this out to you. What's interesting is all these names, they're combo names. They're two words. So wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And you know, names have meanings. I've got um. You, you, every now and then you, run, you know how you run across somebody who's got a name that it's like, oh man, that's, that's actually really unfortunate that that worked out for you that way. And, you know, and it's like, um, you know, it's little names. It's like people, um, I knew somebody one time named Eileen Wright. It's like political conversations just start off on a weird foot. Um, Lois Price. It's like, man, some of you that are doing your shopping, you're like, I just feel close to Jesus right now. Lois Price, <laughs> that kind of thing. I had a, I got a pastor friend, <laughs> okay, pastor friend in college. Girl's name was Helen, and then she married a guy with the last name Back, okay? And what she said was, Helen Back, okay? So what she said was, after 10 years of marriage, the name was True. That's what she said, okay? Uh, the same guy knew somebody, now listen, like, <laughs> just try it with me and, you know, be cool, okay? <clears throat> knew a girl named, Ke <laughs> named Keisha May and married a guy with the last name of Ash, okay? Keisha May, you know, okay, this, I'm not even going to go there, all right? Now, these are true. These are true. This is, let me give you a couple more. Um, in my little research this week, highly academic research and sermon prep for me. So here you go. This is one. Uh, this is a guy that edited a, a movie, Chris P. Bacon. Let me just say, I, I don't know. I love this guy's parents. I've never met them. I already like them. Um, okay, don't show the picture yet up there. Don't show it yet. This next one is the actual name of a guy that works for Apple. Okay, and here it is. His, his name is Samsung. That's it. Okay. Now, my personal favorite, this is like too awesome. I feel like I'm like in the metaverse with this. Okay, so don't show it yet again. Okay, this next guy, an actual fire department lieutenant, like a fireman. Okay, this is this real dude's name was interviewed after a fire. And this, you know, you're just going to see this. This guy's real name, Lieutenant Les McBurney. Okay, <laughs> like, yeah, like just absolutely perfect. I just love it so much. From birth, that dude was like, I'm going to be a fireman. That's it. I'm in. Okay. Now, what we're doing in each of these weeks, we're going, hey, let's take one of these names and tease out the meaning. Uh, you know, a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Now, what we're doing today is, like I said, everlasting father. Now, y'all got to track with me. Some sermons are a little more preachy than teachy. Some sermons are a little more teachy than preachy. We're going to start more teachy than preachy. We're going to end more preachy than teachy. Okay, so put your thinking caps on. Get your, get your notepad, notepads out. Here we go. Uh, here we, I just give you a heads up. We got to start a little more theological before we get really practical. Okay, so you Bible scholars, you're going to like this. Everybody, here, here we go. Some of you right now, as soon as we do this, you're going, whoa, now wait a second, Josh. You're saying Jesus is being referred to as everlasting father? I thought God the Father was father and Jesus was the son. So like, sounds like you're mixing metaphors. Why is the second person of the Trinity in theological language being referred to with the title of the first person of the Trinity? The father. How can a son be a father? Okay, well, let's get theological before we get practical. 
For you guys who are newer to Christianity, maybe you're kicking the tires on faith. What Christianity teaches, unique among every religion, worldview, and philosophy that's ever existed, is that God is, in the words of the old Nicene Creed Council, I'm sorry, Council of Nicaea, the Bible teaches that God was, listen, and then I'm, I'm going to explain it, was one essence, but three persons. Is one essence, but three persons. Now, I'm not like super academic nerd, so let me, instead of counsel and I see it, let me give you the Josh Howerton version of that. What that means is the Bible teaches is that God is one what, but three who's. Okay, now, okay, let me put it to you in the form of question. So if you go, hey, Josh, is God God? Yes. Is Jesus God? Yep. Is the Holy Spirit God? Absolutely. So are there three gods? Nope, just one. And some of you hear that and you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. That doesn't make any sense. And if you're like kicking the tires on faith, you may be going, hey, that doesn't make sense. And I don't know if I can believe in a God that I don't understand. Can I just gently say something to you? If you ever run across a God that you can understand, that's a reason not to believe in that God. You're saying that you, you think you should be able to understand the eternal, omnipotent, almighty creator of the universe and that you should be able to understand everything about him. Listen, you can't even lick your own elbow. Like, like, like listen, if God is the size of the Pacific Ocean and our minds are the size of a Coke can, there ought to be some things that don't fit. So listen, Jesus was God. That's why Jesus said things. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to quote two verses. Every now and then you'll see some like really smart dude, more degrees than Fahrenheit on the news talking about, they'll say things like this. A guy named Bart Ehrman says this all the time, gets tons of news press. They'll say things like, Jesus never claimed to be God. Huh, that's really fascinating because Jesus said things like, and I quote, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus was God. So if you've ever wondered, like, man, what's God like? Here's the answer. Jesus. What's God like? Jesus. If you ever want to know what, what's God like, just point at Jesus in the page of the Bible. That's what God's like. So listen, here's what God is. God is a God who heals the sick. He raises the dead. He forgives sins and he loves sinners. He chases lost sheep. He wraps his arms around adulterers. He hugs lepers. He invites moral failures to his dinner table. A bruised reed he did not break and a smoldering wick he will never snuff out. He is so tough that he talked to hurricanes like they were toddlers and he's so tender that toddlers love to run up into his lap. He is so just that he demands that payment for sin be made and he is loved so he made the payment himself. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Y'all clapped early, so it was like delayed. Jesus is God. So we, we got to understand that. No, no, no. Here's why this is important, okay? Let me, we're, we're still doing theology, okay? The Bible teaches that the dual natures of Christ. What that means is that Jesus was at the same time fully man, 100% man, and 100% God, fully God, okay? Now, here's why that matters for us in our message today. Okay, Because Jesus was fully God, watch this. He gave us a representation of what the Father is like. This is a side note. I didn't say this last night. Do you guys know why the first of the Ten Commandments, what's the first ten of the Ten Commandments? You shall, God said, you shall not make an image of me. Do you know why God said that? He was saying, don't make an image of me because someday I'm going to send one. 
Jesus was the exact representation of God's nature, an image of God. So Jesus, as fully God, he, re- he imaged what God was like. But as fully man, he showed us how to relate to God. How do we relate to God? Now, this is really important, okay? We now, when we pray, a lot of you guys pray like Jesus. You pray and you start your prayers with the word Heavenly Father. You say that. And you don't think anything about it. Guys, you got to understand, like, when Jesus did that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, okay? You prayed it before football games growing up. Our Father who art in heaven. When Jesus said that, it blew the minds of every religious leader in the entire world. Did you know this? Jesus was the first person in all of recorded history to reference God or, or the gods as a father. No one had ever done that. Before Jesus in the Old Testament, guys, they wouldn't even write or speak the name of God. In fact, in your Bible, every time you see the word Lord in all caps, that's actually not a translation. That's, it's the tetragrammaton. It's the four letters that, said, that represented the name of God, and the scribes wouldn't even write those four letters because God was so high, lifted up, other, and holy, they wouldn't even write his name. So you get to Jesus, and it's like, Jesus, how do you relate to that God whose name we can't speak, whose name we can't write? And Jesus goes, here's how I relate to him. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. He called God Father. Okay, now, why did he do that? Keep tracking with me. Why did Jesus do that? We all understand this, guys. Here's a basic principle. You guys understand that what you call someone indicates something about your relationship with them? You, you guys understand that? It's a basic principle. Um, so, for instance, every now and then I'll get a phone call at dinner, and I'll pick up the phone, and a, an unfamiliar voice on the other side of the line will say, Hello, is this Mr. Howardson? How's everybody does? Is this Mr. Howardson? And as soon as they call me Mr. Howardson, I know this person doesn't know anything about me. You're a telemarketer, and I just hung up on you, quit dinner of my family dinner, okay? I know that immediately. Now, other people, they don't call me Mr. Howardson. Sometimes, you know, me and my family will be out somewhere, and somebody from another side of a restaurant or store will say, Pastor Josh! Or a new thing that's kind of catching on is, there's PJ! Hey. And as soon as they say, Pastor Josh or PJ, I know something about the nature of our relationship. Actually, you do know some things about me. You probably attend Lake Point. You've heard me teach. You know about my life and, and my faith in Christ. You probably know something about my family because you've heard the, you know, my stories over and over and over. And over. So, so you, you know some things about me. Now, there's other people who they don't call me Mr. Howardson or Pastor Josh or PJ. Uh, some, some people who actually know me at a personal level, maybe, maybe friends, they'll just say, hey, Josh. And if they call me that, I know something about a relationship. Hey, this is a personal relationship. You're closer to me. Now, there's even another group of people where every now and then when I travel home, like on a holiday or something like that, I'll be in my hometown, and every now and then I'll hear somebody shout, hey, Howie. And when they, by the way, do not start doing that to me here. <laughs> do not do that. When, when somebody says, hey, Howie, I immediately know something about a relationship. That means we go back to at least eighth grade. That was my middle school nickname. I know like we, we went through some stuff. To, we probably play, played like truth or dare on a mission trip at some point. You know, we, we've experienced some things together. That tells me something about a relationship. Now, there's three people in the whole world and only three who they don't call me any of those things 
they call me daddy. And I've been through some things with those people. They know me in a way nobody else has. I've prayed with them more than anybody I've ever prayed for in my life. We've shared meals. We've cried together. We've laughed together. We've been on trips together. We, we share every night. They see all my flaws and all that stuff. So those, they call me daddy. And then back, back to this middle camera, there's one person and one person who only who calls me sexy man. <laughs> That's right. And she's watching right now online at home with a sick kid. And I like it when you call me that. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But watch this. Only one person is allowed to call me that. In fact, if anybody else ever calls me that, you got to find another church. You're gone. <laughs> We're done. Well, we are, that's it. Only one person can call me that. Now, what, do, you see this, do you see this principle? What you call somebody indicates something about the nature of your relationship with them. Can I just be really honest with you? Some guy, when you talk, some, some of you, when you talk about God, you talk about God like this. Oh, man, the, the big guy upstairs. Uh, you know, big guy in the sky. You pray to dear six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. And let me be real honest, that says something about your relationship with him. But some of you, when you pray to God, you don't say those things. What you say is, God, you are my savior because you know him as the one who saved you from your sins. Some of you pray to God as your friend. God, you are my friend because he was there for you when nobody else was. Some of you pray to God and you refer to him as, oh, my healer because you've been supernaturally healed by God. Some of you call him your provider, but watch this. What Jesus is saying is, here's what I want you to call him. Everybody, everybody who knows him ought to call him Father. And that indicates the type of relationship that he wants to have with you. Now, here's where I need to get practical, and I'm gonna be a little straightforward with you for the next couple minutes, okay? Because God is a father, that means a few things about our relationship with him. Now, I want to show you three things this means about our relationship with him. Again, I'm going to speak to you in a very straightforward way, especially for this first one. So let, let's do these together. Number one, because God is a father, his children should look like him. His children should look like him. Watch what, um, this is a very, it's a confusing passage. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to explain it, okay? Watch what the Bible says in the book of 1 John. I love how it says this. It says, see, some of your Bibles say, behold, what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. Now watch what it says here. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. ruh <laughs> What's that mean? Because God's seed remains in them. And they can't go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Here, here's the indicator. Anyone who doesn't do us right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and their sister. Now, let me say it, and let me, let me say what it means and what it doesn't mean, okay? Here's what this means. This is really simple, guys. It just means this. It means kids look like their parents. We all know this. When a baby's born and you show that baby to somebody for the first time, people say things like this. They'll say, oh, man, he's got your eyes. Oh, oh man, she's got your smile. Uh, I, I get my receding hairline and my Howerton legs that turn regular jeans into skinny jeans. I, I get those from my dad. Okay? I get all these physical traits of resemblance. Where? From my father. Now, what the Bible's saying right here is what's true of people who are born physically 
is true of people who are born again spiritually. Anyone who's born again by God, the Bible's saying, you are going to start to be conformed in the image of Jesus, not perfectly, but gradually and inevitably, you're going to start to look like him more and more. Your life more and more, if, if you've actually been born again, more and more your life's going to be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's going to be marked by these things. Now, this passage raises a lot of like, whoa, but, but what about... Let me address some of those really quick. Here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if you've truly become a Christian, you'll never sin again. It didn't say that. It said, will not continue to sin. Let me explain that, okay? Now, here's where, I love how Proverbs 24 says it. It just says it like this. Watch it, watch this. It says, the righteous falls seven times, but then what? They also, they, they rise again. Now, keep, keep that passage up. That passage doesn't say that the difference between people who are righteous in God's sight and people who are not righteous in God's sight is that these people don't ever fall and these people do. No, no, it says, no, no, righteous people, they fall too. They fall into sin sometimes. But here's the difference. The righteous person is the person who gets up and keeps looking at Jesus. So watch this. A life of faith is not marked by never falling, but by what happens when you fall. So you just need to know this. Your life as a Christian may be a series of trying and falling, trying and falling, trying and falling a million times over. But here's, here's what, what happens. If you have a true faith in Christ, what will happen is you'll every time, you'll keep getting back up and failing forward in Christ and getting back up and looking at Jesus. So what First John is saying is it's saying, hey, listen, you can't be sinless, but you can sin less. The, the Bible's not looking. This is not a mark of faith. It's not looking for sinless perfection. It's looking for a new direction. It's about attitude and trajectory, okay? Now, that leads to a second thing. Some of you right now, you're like, ah, but I still have anxiety because, Josh, I still struggle with sin. Let, let me just say this. Good. I know that sounds weird. Good. The fact that you, keyword, struggle with sin is evidence that you are saved, not evidence that you're not. Uh, guys, listen, the presence of struggle itself can be an affirmation that God's spirit is inside of you. Let me just say something really straightforward. If you are never convicted of sin, if you're never convicted, I doubt you're converted. But when we are saved, God's spirit comes to live in us. And before then, we didn't struggle with sin. We just ran towards it eagerly. But now the spirit comes to live in us. And now there's this new struggle inside of us. So the struggle isn't an indication you're not saved. It's evidence that you are. Uh, let me just put a bow on this like this. Um, I had a pastor friend who he had a six-year-old daughter. And his uh, daughter came to him one night before bed. And she was like, Dad... You know, I, I'm interested in, here was her language, in accepting Jesus. And so this guy, he prayed with his six-year-old daughter for her to, quote, accept Jesus into her heart. And so she did that with her dad, a, you know, amazing moment. Well, a week later, his six-year-old daughter came back and she was like, Dad, and she started asking some weird questions. She said, Dad, how tall was Jesus? And the dad said, you know, baby, it doesn't say anything about that in the scriptures, but, you know, we can kind of take a guess. People were a little shorter back then. You know, let's, let's say Jesus was probably around like 5'8". And she was like, okay, well, dad, how tall am I? And he said, well, babe, you know, you're, you're about three, three feet six. You're three six. 
And she just walked away, just kind of confused, looking at her face. Well, a week later, she came back, and here's what she said. She said, Dad, I'm confused. If Jesus was 5'8", and I'm 3'6", shouldn't he just kind of poke out everywhere? <laughs> now, guys, that's, that's kind of a chuckle, but there's actually a profound truth in what that girl said is that when the Spirit of Christ comes to live in you, what will inevitably happen is that as a kid of God, you're going to start to look like you're He's just going to start to poke out everywhere. Now, I'm getting ready to show you something on screen, and I need to give a caveat. This is a very emotional 90 seconds. So I need a promise from you that you can, like, regather yourself after these 90 seconds and let me continue with this message. Um, many of you heard it was national news uh, about a week to 10 days ago. Um, there was a, an officer, Officer Richard Houston, that was shot and killed in the line of duty in Mesquite, not far. We have a campus in Mesquite. And Lake Point, we always want to, you know, we love, you know, local law enforcement. And, and so we, we considered it an honor to host the funeral in the room where I'm preaching of Officer Richard Houston. And thousands of people gathered um, last week. But the highlight of that funeral, if, if such a thing can be said, was his daughter, his 18-year-old daughter, Shelby. She stood up, who had been discipled by her dad that led her to Christ. She stood up and she gave a eulogy for her now deceased father. And I, I want you to see what she said. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me, but as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion, and part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father but I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live, but when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. Yeah, no, yeah. Now listen, um, when I saw that clip, there were a lot of thoughts that went through my mind. One was, man, all of heaven, including her now deceased father, is rejoicing in their pride over that daughter of God. But then the second thing I thought is I thought of that story I just told you, and I thought, man, Jesus is just poking out everywhere. That kid looks just like her heavenly father. And guys, that's true, that everyone who has been born of God will begin to be conformed into the image of God, Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's number one. Now, I told you you had to collect yourselves and move on, okay? Here we go. Number two, very briefly, let's keep going. Number two, because God is a father, listen, he cares enough to confront. 
He cares enough to confront. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says. It says the Lord disciplines the one who, who he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Now watch what it says. An encouragement. Endure hardship. How? As discipline. I'm coming back to that. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not true sons or daughters at all. Okay, now there's a lot, lot there. What that passage says is that every, this, here's a mark of being you know, a son or a daughter to somebody that's saying, hey, every father disciplines his kids. Now, let me just give a quick caveat. If you're here, you're watching online, and you know, you're, you're one of those people, and you're like, ah, you're cringe right now, and you, and you just, you don't discipline your kids, we do not need you to come on all of our social media channels and comment on how you don't discipline your kids. We already know. Let me just say, we, we, we figured that out already, okay? So, so listen, we don't need to come, okay? So, but, but what it's saying is, it's saying every, it's a mark of fatherhood. Every father does this out of love. I'll give an example of this. So I, I used our, my second daughter, Felicity, she's now six. She was born with this really significant birth defect. We were in and out of ER, her, you know, her whole first year of life and always just scared. So I just, I always feel like she's real fragile. I'm super extra protective for her. I used to take her to the same park every Saturday until what I'm getting ready to describe happened uh, to play a little, little play date together. And there was this one kid there. You know, like not all kids are sweet little angels. Some of them are short little demons. This was like, this was one of those. And so this kid, he was just terrible. And uh, his parents would just like watch him be terrible and not do anything about it. So like the first time we were there, uh, Felicity was playing something. And, you know, first time he just kind of stole her thing. And just walked off, like, you know, didn't, did, did not, nothing, just kind of walked off. And then, like, she was climbing on something, and he just, like, looked over at her and just pushed her, just pushed her off the little climbing thingy. And I'm like, you know, I got this, like, rage rising within me. And then, you know, it kind of went a little farther. It was one time she was climbing, and she put her hand up here, and he was up here, and he reached over, and he just bit her knuckle. Kid just like bit my daughter like right in front. I'm like staring at the parents. I'm like, hey, that's, that's a personal foul. <laughs> Throw the flag. You know, that kind of thing. Eventually this kid, I kid you not, we're there. I think he just kind of figured out my parents aren't going to do anything. So eventually he walked up to my little then four-year-old Felicity, looked at me, looked at the ground, picked up a stick, looked at me again, and hit Felicity in the head. And I just immediately, like, I saw red, and I thought, I'm going to get arrested for choke slamming a kid. Like, it's going to happen, like, literally right now. But I just want to point this out. Let me, let me just point this out to you. This kid was consistently terrible right in front of me. But I never disciplined him. Do you know why? Not my kid. I don't care if he ends up in juvie. Like, you know, it's like, that's it. It's not my kid. With my kids... I've got a future-oriented love for them that makes me sometimes allow or even sometimes like introduce pain into their lives. Why? So that I can form them because I love them. This passage says this. It says that God loves us so much as a father that sometimes he disciplines us, listen, not to pay us back for our sins, but to bring us back from our sins. And some of you, it says, endure discipline. Did you see this? Endure trials, it says, quote, as discipline. 
Do you know why some people really struggle when pain comes into their life as a Christian? It's because they misunderstand the difference between these three things, punishment, discipline, and consequences. All of them are pain, but they're different things. Punishment, discipline, consequences. Listen to these three categories. Punishment, the goal of punishment is retribution. It's to pay you back for a wrong that you've done. That's punishment. But discipline is different than punishment. In discipline, it's a loving attempt to mold character. The goal isn't retribution, it's formation. That's discipline. Now there's this third category of pain is called consequences. And here's what consequences are. Consequences, they're just the natural results from bad decisions. So like, let's say young couple is sleeping together outside of marriage, and then all of a sudden, dude that's sleeping with his girlfriend, she gets pregnant, and he's like, ah, God is punishing me. Hey, bro, that's not punishment, that's biology. That's what that is. Uh, You cheat on your wife, and you lose the trust of your spouse, that's a consequence. You do sloppy work, and you lose your job, that's a consequence. Let me tie a bow together really quick. Guys, listen, believers do suffer the consequences for their sins, and sometimes God will use those consequences to discipline us, but no Christian anywhere will ever suffer punishment because Jesus was punished fully in our place so that all that's left for us is mercy. That's what's true for us when it comes to pain in our lives. So listen, you need to know this. A lot of people, they get into pain and they're doing this. They go, man, they wonder, worry, and whine. They're going, you know, why, God, why? Or when, God, when? Or how, God, how? Here's what God wants you to do. Pain comes in your life. He wants you to ask this question. What, God? What? What are you doing in me? What aspect of my character are you trying to form into the image of Christ? What are you trying to change in me? Why? Because as a father, God disciplines children that he loves. Now, last one. This is really important. Let's land the plane here. Because God is a father, he loves children. This is really important. Even when they are disobedient. What does Romans 8 say? Listen really close to this language. For God has not given us a spirit of fear note that word, to fall back again into slavery, but he's given us a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. So so watch this. What the devil is trying to do all the time is to get you to believe down deep in your soul that your relationship with God is a master-slave relationship. It's a relationship based on activity, That if I do good, God will treat me good. And if I do bad, God will treat me bad. And that produces, listen really close, it produces fear-based obedience. Listen to me, guys. Fear-based obedience always leads to father-loathing rebellion. Every single time. What this passage is saying is, no, 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 that's not... The basis of your relationship is primarily not master-slave now. No, no, it's father-son That's a relationship not based on activity, but on identity. I love you because of who you are, not what you've done. And you obey out of love, not fear. Those are very different things. Now, here's, let me land a plane right here. Okay, if you don't understand the answer to this question at a deep level, you will never grow as a a Christian. Here's the question. How does God feel towards me when I sin? You don't get that? And listen, I promise you are never going to experience really, really deep life change into the image of Christ. How does God feel towards me when I sin? Well, one time somebody asked Jesus that question, 
and he responded with a story about a dad. Now, the story I'm getting ready to tell you, uh, scholars say, is probably the greatest story ever told in human history. Some of you have heard this story hundreds and maybe even thousands of times. Here's what I'm asking you to do. In the next two minutes, I'm asking you to turn that off and try to hear this story as if you've never heard it before. I heard somebody tell it in a fresh way a couple years ago, and it changed my life. Okay, here's the story. One time, there was a sheep rancher that lived on the west side of Jerusalem that was very wealthy, and the sheep rancher just happened to have two sons. And the older son was like a very upright, obedient, you know, righteous son, always tried to do the right thing. And the younger son was like the headstrong, like test the limits, like rebellious son. And over time, the youngest son started feeling resentment towards his family because of how they had boxed him in with a certain lifestyle. And so eventually, this younger son came to his dad and he said to his dad, he was like, Dad, can I be really honest? I hate everything about your life. I hate being a sheep rancher. In fact, Dad, the fact that you're a sheep rancher and I've been forced into this lifestyle, like it super cramps my style. And so with a deep resentment in his heart, he said to his dad, Dad, like, could we go ahead and act now like you're already dead? And could I just get my inheritance now? And the father was wounded to his core, but he thought and he thought and he thought. And eventually, with great sadness, he decided to grant the son's request. And so the younger son received his full inheritance at that moment in the middle of his life. And when that younger son left, I don't think he left like ashamed or, you know, you know shoulder slouched. I think he left with his head held high, not looking back, no apologies. And he just thought, thank goodness, I hated every single day in that house. And so he left and the son headed straight for the big city. Now, what we all know is that cities, they offer really unique economic opportunities but when this son got to the city, he didn't spend his money on stuff. He spent his money on experiences. And some of those experiences included like women who worked the streets really, really late at night. In fact, this younger son for years, he spent every penny he had experiencing all the things that his loving dad had always warned him never to have anything to do with. And he did this for year after year after year. Then one day he woke up and because that son had never gone to a Dave Ramsey class, the unthinkable happened, he was out of money. And so because he had no education, the only job this son could get is slopping pigs, like pig food for pigs in a pigsty. And he did that minimum wage job day after day, week after week, month after month. And because it was a minimum wage job and he couldn't do anything else, he actually couldn't even afford to feed himself. And so one day that son, he started actually sneaking pig food when his employer was out of the room for himself so that he could feed himself. And he did that long enough that he eventually came to his senses. And here's the thought that son had. Eventually he thought, you know what? Like, man, the worst day I ever had with my dad was better than the best day I'm having now without my dad. But the son realized that what he'd done was so dishonoring and offensive that if he ever went home to his dad, he would probably be put to death by the community. And so he kept eating that pig food day after day after day. One day he realized that, man, like I can't do this anymore. And my dad is a really kind, benevolent businessman. And so like, I know, I know that I'll never be able to be his son again, but maybe he'd at least hire me and I could work a minimum wage job for my dad and I'd do better there than I'm doing here. 
And so the son started to form an I'm sorry speech. And his I'm sorry speech went something like this. He just said, man, dad, like, I know what I did. It's too bad to ever be treated as a son of yours again. But is there any way that I could work at the lowest level of your organization just so I could be around you? That's all I want. And so he started this form of this I'm sorry speech. And one day he worked up the courage to start walking home. And so he left his pigsty and he started out on this long journey. He, he kind of walked over hill after hill after hill after hill. And the closer he got to home, the harder his heart started beating, the sweatier his brow got, palms clammy, head full, until he finally got to the spot where he only had one more hill to crest. And he knew when he got to the top of that hill, he'd look down and he'd see his homestead. And so he took a deep breath and he rehearsed his I'm sorry speech one more time. And as he crested the top of the hill, mystery of mysteries, he looked down and the first thing he saw was his dad staring right at him. Because what the son didn't know was that from the day he left years earlier, what his dad had done every single night after dinner is the dad had grabbed a kitchen chair from the dinner table and pulled it out to his porch sat it on the side of his porch that faced the way that his son walked away and sat down staring towards the sunset, just hoping that someday he'd see the silhouette of his son appear against the sky one more time. And so that day, his dad saw this silhouette appear and his dad couldn't tell who it was, but like a hope leapt in his heart. And so his dad stood up and he just kind of like, you know, squinted his eyes at the sunset and he thought, maybe, maybe. And so the dad, as soon as he recognized it might be the son, he just started running. And he grabbed like all of his robes and kind of, you know, gathered them up or showing his thigh, everything real undignified, like he's wearing like chubby swimsuits. And he's running. He just starts running at the sunset. But the son thinks the dad's running at him to punish him out of anger. And so the son is real scared. He just starts screaming his I'm sorry speech. Dad, 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 wait, I'm so sorry. I know what I did was so wrong. I know I could never be your son again. But dad, would you please? But his dad reached the son before the son could finish his speech. And instead of tackling him, his dad grabbed him and he put him in a big bear hug and he twirled him around and he kissed his son right on the cheek. And his dad just started yelling back down the hill. He said, somebody get the best robe, get the best ring, kill the fatted calf. We're throwing a party tonight. And all those were signs that his son was going to be the guest of honor at dinner that night. And then Jesus finishes that story and he says this, he says, it is fitting that we should rejoice when one sinner comes home because this, listen, son, this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and now is found. And then Jesus says this, he says, the dad in the story is God. And the son in the story is you every single time you wander away from him. Guys, how, how's God feel towards you when you sin? Is he sitting up there and is he like, oh my gosh, like get it together, idiot. <laughs> is he disgusted with you? Is he like, man, gross. Get to the doghouse. No, no, here's what your dad's doing. He's going, man, welcome home. 
Why? Because he's a father and you're his son and he doesn't love you based on what you do. He loves you based on who you are, not your activity, your identity. He's waiting for you to come home. So listen, it's, it's time. It's time. If you don't know him, it's time to come home. If you've known him for a long time and you've wandered, it's time to come home. He's staring at the sunset waiting for you, a father. And so right now I wanna pray that you would experience God as an everlasting father. And so will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are a dad and not just like a slave master. Father, I pray that your fatherly love would wash over our church, that we would deeply believe down to our core that we are children of God, that like your word says, that we would see, behold, what kind of love the father has lavished on his children. And God, would you make us people like that believe it so deeply that we don't ever get this thing in our heart. We start to believe there's, a, there's an ounce of condemnation that stands between you and your wandering children. And so God, today, we just wanna come home to you. Jesus, we pray it in your crucified, risen name. We pray it with triumph and glory and joy. Amen, 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 amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital.